Welcome to Gu Dao Jinxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Hello, Ian. Good morning. Morning, David. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Very good. Very good. I'm curious about to uh, get started. I'm very curious about over the past uh, week, if you had a moment where you felt a deep sense of walking the timeless way. Well, mine's a little mundane today. I was actually going to use something from right before we were recording. I gathered, I was downstairs working on reviewing and preparing and I had made breakfast and uh, something to drink and I gathered up, there's three versions of Tao Te Ching that I like to use and I had gathered them off my desk and I had my beverage and I came up and, you know, I'm getting everything prepared and how I'm sitting, the... I kind of get wrapped up in all of the devices like the computer and the headphones and the microphone and everything was prepared. And then I went to email you the link for the podcast and I had not logged in to my email account, which requires two factor authentication. And that's on my phone. And I realized, Oh, I didn't bring, my phone. And so mm-hmm. all of this preparation that I had done and getting situated because I had overlooked one small detail, I had to move everything, clear everything out, get out of my little setup that I had and kind of undo all the work that I had done to go and get the phone. And it was just that example of, oh, when we're in too much of a hurry and overlook the small details, just how much extra work that causes us, how, and, you know, I was not too happy either. I was pretty mad that I had Mm -hmm. left my phone down there and now I've got to undo all the stuff and, um, go get, go get that. So it made me think of just the importance of really looking at all the details and being cautious, uh, this chapter, you know, we're going to get into the qualities of the master and that like, don't be in a hurry, you know, really stop and think everything through before you just kind of go headlong into something. And I experienced that this morning, the effects of when you don't do that. I see. Uh, once you realize that, uh, what was the, uh, kind of this, uh, self dialogue, was it like say, oh, I should have, or is it something like, oh, you know, uh, this is just a natural uh, course of things when somebody is in a hurry? So, what was the uh, that walking the timeless, timeless way moment for you? Yeah, it was really that I I was in a hurry and I could have stopped, thought everything through paid attention to all those details before advancing. 
Mm -hmm. I see. Cool. So really look forward to uh, uh, discussing with you uh, this chapter, chapter 15. Would you like to read the ancient text first? Sure. Gu zhi shan wei dao zhe, wei miao xuan tong, xin bu ke shi, fu wei bu ke shi, gu qiang wei zhi rong, yu xi, ruo dong she chuan, you xi, ruo wei se lin, yan xi, qi ruo rong, guan xi, Ruo bing zhi jiang shi. Dun xi. Qi ruo pu. Kuang xi. Qi ruo gu. Kuan xi. Qi ruo zhuo. Shu neng zhuo yi jing zhi. Xu qing. Shu neng an yi jiu dong zhi xu sheng. Bao zi dao zhe. 不于盈，复为不盈，故能避而心诚。That's great. I, you know, close my eyes and just listen to the rhythms of this uh, of your reading. Uh, you know, sometimes it's there's a poetic aspect of Dao De Jing. There's a lot of pressure to try to read it. In a way where that comes through, because you know, not only is my Chinese not the greatest, but this is an old text, and it's it's a lot different than modern Chinese. So, um, I want to make sure that that ancient rhythm comes through in the language, even through my very coarse vessel when it comes to. Chinese language, not to mention the ancient Chinese language. It didn't. It, it did uh, come through because I can uh, feel myself like starting to be situated in a particular space. That's good because I know some of the pronunciations were not the best. So I'm glad it did not throw you out of your meditative mindset. Yeah, it it had that effect. Now uh, let me share with you one of the translations. Uh, this version comes from Stephen Mitchell, uh, you know, one of my favorites. So let me just read out the English translation for this chapter. The ancient masters were profound and subtle. Their wisdom was unfathomable. There's no way to describe it. All we can describe it is their appearance. They were careful as someone crossing an iced over stream, alert as a warrior in enemy territory, courteous as a guest, fluid as melting ice, shapeable as a block of wood, receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? 
Can you remain on on moving until the right action rises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting. They are present and can welcome all things. Yeah, I really appreciate that translation to Stephen Mitchell's translation is another one that I really enjoy quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so maybe to get started, uh, could you share with our listeners kind of the overall what this chapter is about after you uh, delve into the text? So this chapter fundamentally is about how does a human being who has really tried to align themselves with Tao, how do they exist in the world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in Lao Tzu's mind, that human being kind of lived in ancient times, not even yes. his time. Yes, I think that even in his time, so if we're roughly, I, I, I know there's no real firm date on Lao Tzu, so we'll just say between 500 and 400 BC. So mm -hmm. we can just say roughly 2,500 years ago. I think that's close enough. Roughly 2,500 years ago, Lao Tzu was already saying the ancient masters were already fading so much into the past that their ways were largely not understood and that people they could see them and they could recognize that they had some qualities that were significant, but they mm -hmm. didn't, they didn't understand their inner world enough to be able to describe it other than how they appeared when you saw them in the world. Right. He did use some very mysterious uh, descriptors. Uh, to categorize, even though we know that categorization may not be complete. So can you uh, share with our listeners, what are some of the words? Uh, I think there may be like four or five of them. Yeah, so um, Wei Miao Xuan Tong Shen. So those five are kind of here at the beginning of the text and you know there's some so way meow that can be one word or, or two do you read that as one word or, or two characters uh in modern chinese there's a word uh, uh you know called a way meow uh in this text it's kind of separate uh way meow xuan tong shen wu ke shi yeah. Okay. So if we're looking at it that way, you they're really saying that the these old masters they're subtle, they're mysterious, they're deep. Um 
they're they're humble um you know they're they're not really putting themselves out in the world in a way where they kind of stick out they they blend in mm-hmm yes yes mm-hmm. and uh among those words uh you know you probably remember uh in other parts of the chapter that xuan is a very interesting word he used uh, Lao Tzu used that multiple times in Tao Te Ching. Can you shed some light on that word? Well, that word, it, it shows up 12 times in Tao Te Ching. And generally, if it's used once in a chapter, it's generally used more than once. So in other words, when Lao Tzu decides to talk about it, it seems like he really wants to emphasize it because of its multiple uses within, mm-hmm. you know, generally each chapter doesn't have a whole lot of characters. And so to, to use one character more than once, you kind of get the hint of this must be important some, some way. Otherwise you wouldn't see it so often and repeated within the same chapter. Mm-hmm. So Shen Again, it's typically a, a, it can be a water metaphor and used in combination with water quite a bit, but essentially it means deep. There's a um, deep in the mysterious way, um, this, this darkness uh, that can be not negative or or evil but um you know just it it doesn't protrude it's 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 almost invisible but it has there's a lot there hidden yes yes it's beyond the appearances it's almost like uh the kind of the essential it's the the very nature of it Mm -hmm. because it's uh you know, you don't see it um, very easily. So that's Xuan. So uh, here's an example. I was um, just on the internet and it was supposed to be um, ironic, this, this post that I saw. And someone said, I asked there was someone conversing with a woman online and, and they were saying, Oh, you know, I asked this woman to send me a sexy picture and this is what she sent. And the photo was, there was a door, a white door and hanging on the door was, um, a two piece lingerie. And the way that the woman took the photo, it was her shadow being projected onto this white door that lined up with the lingerie. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a perfect example of Schwen. Now in our society, the person who posted that, they were really disappointed. Like they wanted they wanted just for her to send a photo of herself wearing the lingerie 
Mm -hmm. But the way that she sent it was very much when this like dark mystery, you, you really had no idea what her body really looked like, but Mm -hmm. there was something sensual and mysterious and compelling, like very, um, you know, to me, it was just like, oh, wow, like that is really interesting and mm-hmm. um, unusual. And, and I really wanted to connect with that where for everybody, the, the typical person that saw it was like they were really disappointed because it was just like, oh, it's just her shadow on mm-hmm. on the door. And so mm-hmm. it kind of made me realize again how um, our society doesn't really value Schwen mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or even understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, because our society, uh, you know, has this, I think it's trying to make things more direct and uh, explicit. Yeah, exactly. A, like, our, mm-hmm. yeah, our society is more about, you know, you would just, you know, see the, the person wearing the, you know, wearing that lingerie and just seeing them very direct and literal. There's no mystery about it. It's just, you know, very direct and literal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the key differences between the uh, ancient times or even maybe some hundred years of ago. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the um, literature had uh, multiple layers of meaning. So you Mm. could just sit there and read the passage and try to appreciate the depth of it. Uh, Nowadays, you know, they're still different. I think the general culture is still, you know, as as we just said, it's very explicit and and direct. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, also very technical. But in terms of the mystery or, you know, the, the, I remember a long time ago watching, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, who is the, mm-hmm. the mentor of the, the director of Star Wars. You know, he was giving a long time interview talking about, you know, myths and mythologies. Mm-hmm. And he lamented that you know, in modern days, we do not have that anymore. As part of the reason feel people feel like very, you know, dry and almost like living in the desert or something. Yeah, that because things have become so um, decontextualized. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of what the the politically extreme environment that we're in. I, don't, I mean, whether it's a symptom or a cause, who who knows? Mm-hmm. But but yes, when you decontextualize everything and you're just you're wanting to um, kind of pin people, you know, you want to label someone as left wing or right wing or this or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. You, you have to eliminate all the subtleties so that you can, you know, do that, you know, find out like, oh, is this person on my team or are they on the other team? And 
you know, all that kind of just kind of stupid way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's all, almost feels like life can be broken down into, you know, concepts, uh, you know, slogans. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, all the other stuff has been removed. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the, some of the, as you said earlier, the kind of the behaviors manifested by these ancient masters, um, you know, in this chapter. And some people, some interpreters even, you know, try to connect what we just talked about, Wei, Miao, Xuan, Tong, Shen, uh, you know, try to correspond with the seven behaviors. Mm. Like first, one, first two have something more to do with the subtlety, mm -hmm. because those are the very small signs that you cannot miss um, mm -hmm. if you don't want to get into trouble. So mm -hmm. the other two, so they, they try to correspond the, uh, the key descriptors in the first sentence. Yeah, so why don't we just kind of go over these uh, seven behaviors, uh, you know, with our listeners? Yeah, that sounds great. And, you know, I, I'd also, one word that I would, before we jump into it, that as far as the five qualities, Tong, I mean, Tong in modern Chinese is just kind of like, it's about communication or crossing right what is it in this as a quality that was kind of confusing to me uh tong means uh means penetrating it means connecting so in other words uh when somebody is tong uh it means you have no internal barriers mm. everything seems to be connected all together as opposed to being polarized. When somebody mm. is polarized, it have when somebody has polarized views, we cannot say that person is tong. Mm. When somebody is a specialist, right? Uh, you know, he or she is in the silo. We cannot say tong. When somebody mm. is tong, it's more like a Renaissance man. Like all the you know science and arts are mm. all connected in that person's mind. Like mm. you know, some of the historical figures like Da Vinci. Yeah. Okay. That, that's really helpful. Yep. So if we're looking at these five, the first one, you know, some of the translations can vary quite mm -hmm. a bit and, and meaning, but I'm going to stick with, um, the one that I prefer, which is from the wisdom of Lao Tzu. And so the first one, cautious, like crossing a wintry stream. <clears throat> So that one, to me, it, it's, it's very stark. Like it, if I'm someone in the middle of winter, you know, particularly I'm in Minnesota where the you know, winters are very mm -hmm. cold and I had to cross a stream. I mean, it's serious, right? Like you make yeah. one mistake and it, it's over. Like you're probably, especially if you're on your own, you're, that's probably it. You're probably not going to you know, be able to recover from that kind of a mistake. So 
So how do you people in Minnesota manage it? You know, the one of the uh, pastime in the winter is like uh, ice fishing, right? So like I see people like uh, pitch their the tent right on the on the ice. How can people know the ice is solid enough? Is that through experience or what? What? How can they tell? Well, I think experience is definitely critical. I mean, you wouldn't just cross one of these wintry streams if you mm-hmm. hadn't had someone to guide you and mentor you and you know, kind of hold your hand as you learn how that happens. So I think to that extent, I think the word tongue definitely applies here because we can think, well, I have to be connected to my community. I have to be connected to the wisdom of the people who came before me. If I want to undertake something, a mission like crossing a wintry stream, mm-hmm. I shouldn't just go out thinking I know it all and you know plow, plow into it without trying to connect with that wisdom of, of those who have done it many mm-hmm. times before. So you know, I think, I think Tong is very key to this first one of, of crossing the winter stream, but also the, the subtleties, you know, you have to look and see, well, if I walk this way, you know, it looks like there's a rock there, but if I'm really looking carefully, I can see, well, blocking my path to that rock, there's this, you know, big stick poking up and you know how how am i can i even get across it or am i going to end up halfway out and getting stuck so or getting snagged on a stick Mm -hmm. so certainly looking for the subtle things that are happening that also connects to this behavior so i think there's definitely a couple of those qualities that we can connect to this first action of the masters look like someone very cautious crossing a winter stream. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, the first word, yu, like yu xi, mm. and then the first word, you xi, originally in, in modern Chinese, we, when, we, when we say somebody is hesitant, mm. we use the word you yu. It's exactly the same mm. word. Yo and Yu. And also in the ancient time, these are two animals. So Yu, the first one, Yu is a big elephant. Mm-hmm. So the elephant, as you can imagine, when the elephant mm-hmm. is trying to cross that iced, you know, stream with the, that, you know, weight, it's got to be very, you know, very careful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that Yu is elephant and the then second one is that yo is i think it's a kind of a gorilla or kind, mm. kind of monkey and mm-hmm. whose nature is always very vigilant you know mm. when because in the forest probably in the ancient forest there are other bigger animals so like tigers and others so it needs to be very uh sensitive to its surroundings. 
yes that you know even those the gorillas the most often they're because they're territorial they're surrounded by other gorillas in every direction there's another tribe so that monkey or ape or or whatever mm -hmm. kind of primate we're talking about mm -hmm. they are surrounded in every direction by other ones that would want to kill them and and obviously we're primates too and we have mm -hmm. that same kind of situation so the same principles apply though it's the mm -hmm. there, there's danger in every direction and so you need to be very careful yeah 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 so then if we're kind of then move those first two are very similar but the 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 symbol is is different and kind of leaves a different impression but but certainly there are some similarities there mm -hmm. but then this this next one um being like a guest yen is um you know it, it's like serious so um respectful respectful yes yeah. so uh, that this recognition of i mean r respect kind of goes hand in hand with with humility i think you can't really separate Mm -hmm. the two i mean i i guess you could i guess you could someone could be respectful and and arrogant at the same mm -hmm. time but um but really it, this is about being like a guest so respectful like a guest it's not superficial again it's it's we're talking about a depth of of respect that this is all borrowed time that we have that we don't own anything. We don't even own our own bodies. They are constantly changing in ways that we're not in control of. We like to believe that in our society, we, we talk about individual rights and freedom and, and things like that. But the reality is, is that none, none of that really exists. Um, I don't have freedom in my body. We know from studying psychology that most of what happens in our minds and in our bodies is outside of our consciousness. So we're not even aware of the things kind of going on and, and what's kind of propelling us along this path most of the time that there's all of these systems that are interrelated and, and sending messages throughout our body and we're not even aware of it so this idea of, of freedom is is pretty um well it's it's limited it's it's very limited yes that we we have some some space to exert our autonomy but um we're even guests in our own body we we have to treat even our own existence or embodied existence as something that we're really more experiencing than in control of. I think you've made a very good point. As I am listening, I'm thinking of several things. Uh, okay, using the uh, our body, for example, uh, 
So we are actually a guest to our body. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? That means we need to show respect to that body mm -hmm. and take good care of it and not mm -hmm. abuse it. Yeah. And um, I think also socially, you know, when whenever we travel to other countries or even live in that countries, I think there's also a level of respect to its tradition, to its custom customs. So that means uh, respect as a guest. Mm -hmm. So, and then at the highest level, as you said, even on this planet, we are a guest. We're mm -hmm. passing through this here and we need to be good steward to the environment. So no matter what we think about it, I think it's very different from the mindset of, uh, you know, our modern culture that we feel we deserve it. We're entitled to it. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we do everything to consume to the very ultimate and we abuse it. So I, I think when we adopt that we can imagine that there's kind of that sense of sacredness and also responsibility mm -hmm. uh, when we treat ourselves as a guest, even to this place where we are now, a guest to any kind of relationship, uh, you know, we're involved in. I agree. Yeah, so I think that that is uh, the uh, the guest, mm -hmm. I think is a very, uh, I'm not sure whether, you know, Laozi was very uh, intuitive, intuitive, and also draw a lot of wisdom from, you know, the time and place there he lived in. But I think the really the beautiful part is that, you know, we can get deeper into the, you know, the surface of the text and draw connections in our new in our culture and environment and still that has a lot of uh a lot of wisdom in it that can teach us something yes so let's move on to some other aspects so this one's pretty interesting too the um the again the first word and the let me ask you what your definition is so because this translation mm -hmm. i'm not quite certain about so juan how would you translate juan in this next behavior mm -hmm. juan is as you can see the character itself has the three dots right it means water yeah so it it means like kind of scattered or released, uh, mm. so it's it's like uh, because when, when you think about the imagery in this sentence, Ling is really the ice. The frozen mm. ice gets melted, then it's almost like the image of letting go mm. and not holding on to you know because the the the, the solid uh, mm -hmm. ice. Uh, all frozen, 
you know, as winter, as winter becomes spring, mm-hmm. then that ice melts. So you just let go. So it's really, I think it's a really a vivid image of, you know, break free or let go of certain attachments. I mean, they're, they're just like a lot of things you can think of. Yeah, I think that we're, we're seeing the, the genius of Lao Tzu's writing, though, that first he's talking about being a guest, which we know, you know guests are temporary, but then also this melting ice, it's the letting go part and the humility. They're different images, but they are related that I, I think we can also look at this letting go like melting ice it's about grace that yes going through life with grace means you know you there's no shortage of videos on the internet of of people not acting gracefully and and what what does it usually involve someone getting really really angry about something incredibly trivial and we we kind of mock it and make fun of it in our society, not because you know we're coming from this Taoist perspective, but more just like we want to make fun of people. But but we can learn the wisdom from that, which is that you know getting caught up on you know what I want and insisting upon it, and then getting mad and upset and angry. That is definitely the opposite of what we're talking about in this, that there's this grace to just letting go. I mean, we're, we're aging, our bodies are changing, our lives, you know, have a cycle of rising and and falling just like the season of, of ice, you know, it, it builds up, it freezes, it accumulates, and then it melts and, goes away that when, when we can accept that and embrace it and be okay with that, there is a grace that comes along with that. And and that's really what Lao Tzu is talking about here. It's just being graceful when life inevitably, you know, peels away the layers of the things that we would like to hold on to, but we, we can't. Yeah. Yeah two examples that come to my mind are George Washington and mm. then the 2020 elections. I yeah. think, uh, you know, I think the rest of the uh, world always looks up to the United States and say one of the strengths is the that democracy, that peaceful transfer mm-hmm. of power, mm-hmm. that how graceful that the president could write a note to the next president in the White House, wishing them the very best. That mm-hmm. has been a tradition, all the way back to George Washington, whom you know achieved a lot. Uh, but then, when people, you know, some of the people said you should be the king, he gracefully wanted to retire to his Virginia home. Mm-hmm. So that's the grace. That's the grace that this nation started with. Mm-hmm. And think about the political culture now that 
you know, the old, the old generation of the Congress people, they don't want to, go, they don't want to go. Mm-hmm. They hold on to power, blocking the younger generation to mm-hmm. rise as the next generation of leaders. And when somebody loses the election, you know, he used all the means. I don't think that's grace. That's disgraceful. Yeah, and, and you know, most people can see that, and and that's why we kind of just we cringe when we think about it because it's not it's not who I mean. There's an irony in that the same people who kind of idolize the founding fathers can have this huge blind spot of well, let's look at. George Washington's qualities who mm-hmm. he could have stayed president as long as he wanted because he was that popular and had that much support. But he said, yes. mm-hmm. no, the right thing is for me to let go of this and start this country off in the right direction by saying, hey, we want to be the opposite of yep. and, the uh, aristocracy that holds yeah. on to power and doesn't In the share. old world, right? This is a yeah. new world. Right, the old world yes. in Europe, it's always been like that. But mm-hmm. let's start something anew. Yeah, because who wants to hold on to power that badly that they lie and you know, just I mean, not just lie, but lie to an extent that we can't even. I mean, it's it's unfathomable, you know, the depth of manipulation and lies and just falsehoods that we're all part of trying to maintain power and, you know, the opposite of, of grace, the opposite of the founding mm-hmm. fathers who, you know, supposedly that's who, who were, were trying to um, maintain the, the vision and dream that they had for America. Exactly. Yep. So let's move on to the next line. So, you know, we're, this one talks about wood and, you know, just kind of uncarved wood being, mm-hmm. being like uncarved wood. And again, I'm going to lean on you a little bit because dun is another word where it's used in a way that's completely different. And so how do you think the character dun is used in this, this action when it's talking about you know, simple uncarved wood. I think uh, there's a modern Chinese word, dun ho. When you say something, somebody is dun ho, you usually it conjures up an image of somebody who is kind of honest, plain and simple mm. and straightforward. Mm. So that dun ho, uh, not, you know, it's like unbalanced, un- unembalanced. Um, so at the core, I think using today's language, maybe just as it is, or authentic, or mm. kind of down to earth, I think it's a good way of, uh, I think people are crave, you know, it's, iron- it's ironic nowadays when you see with all the entertainment culture, the kind of a performative mm. culture, uh, everybody mm-hmm. presents the the best persona, 
right? There's a more and more uh, tools for embellishments, like the, you know, like the Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. um, Twitter and everything. But I think underlying, there's also an uh, undercurrent that people are wanting to see more authenticity. That's kind of the, you know, the the interesting dynamics nowadays. People, because it's so, uh, you know, you don't see a lot. You know, it, you know, people want to see, you know, a real person. You can see that that desire is manifested in some interesting ways, but at the same time, people put on more things to not, you know, to, I don't know. I don't think people want to be like that uncarved block of wood. No, because you'll be, the fear is that you'll be overlooked that right. the people who get attention are the, you know, we see it in, they call them pranks, but I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're not pranks. It's just people doing really atten- it, it's attention seeking behavior that is really negative. And it's really these, it's, it, you know, we talk about in psychology, people having this type of attention seeking behavior, there's the good kind, which generally people, you know, you do something exceptional, like help mm-hmm. a elderly person across the road and people are, you know, Oh, wow. Look, that person, went out of their way to help this person who was struggling get across the road. I mean, that's positive. Even if they were seeking recognition, we don't care because it's like, okay, that's pro-social behavior. It, it helped. Or even artistic pursuit. I think they, if you practice and make an art um, mm-hmm. as refined, as, as, as good as possible, and... Mm you know, what part of the, the underlying motivation is getting attention. I think yeah. that should be fine. But nowadays you see a lot of the very quick and fast attention yeah. getting, uh, as you said, pranks or tactics, which mm-hmm. I think is making all these very uh, kind of superficial and lower level, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, show your butt on the internet and you get all kinds of attention. It's like, okay, well, everyone's got a butt. So yeah, 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 yeah. Cause it doesn't elevate humanity. Mm-hmm. It just demeans humanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the opposite of um, what we're talking about. This kind of, it's not noble in like the aristocratic way of nobility of, you know, I'm, I have to show that I'm better than everyone. So, you know, I master all of these, like I dress a certain way, I talk a certain way, I walk a certain way to kind of show my nobility. It's not like that. It's this nobility of Dow, which is quite different than the aristocratic version. It is. I, I see two extremes. One is like the showing one's butt, the kind. Mm-hmm. That's one yep. extreme. It's mm-hmm. almost like there's no shame, no no sense of something. It's just like mm-hmm. for the sake of getting attention. Yes. And of course, there's another extreme that the the traditional uh, aristocratic 
people mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. They just do everything to show to their competitors, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in the court uh, mm -hmm. or surrounding them. They just compete to, to show how superior they are. Yeah. I think both that extremes uh, at the end of the day doesn't seem to be a noble, really in the sense of ennoble our humanity. You know, one is, you know, getting to a level which is vulgar. Mm -hmm. The other one is hypocritical. Yeah. In a lot of way. Yeah, because there's generally no connection to humanity in um, e either one of those. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So open-minded like a valley. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that one is pretty self-explanatory. You know, a valley allows whatever to flow into it. It's so open and has so much equanimity that mm -hmm. it's not disturbed by, you know, giant boulders can fall into it rivers can pass through it. Mm -hmm. It just lets everything pass through it without trying to, to stop it or fight it. It's just like, yep, you can come through here. That's fine. Yeah. Being, and I, yeah. And just, you know, in, in our experience, we can do the same thing. It doesn't mean agreeing with, what we're experiencing, but it's really, again, this, this grace of, I don't have to fight with the environment and that fighting with the environment, it doesn't accomplish anything. You're not going to do anything except for cause harm to yourself by mm -hmm. um, fighting it. And, you know, th this is a hard lesson to learn, especially you're driving these days where it seems like people are even more distracted and, and have even less ability to be considerate. And, you know, people are swerving at the last second to get an exit and, and just not paying attention. It's hard for me to accept that and, and not get disturbed by that. And, and I think that in that situation, this is very much where using this behavior could help a lot. It's just, yep. It's like all these boulders falling into the valley. It's like, if you tried to fight every single one, you know, every time someone acts erratically while driving on the freeway, you're going to wear yourself out and be miserable and, and it doesn't change anything. You haven't stopped people from driving that way on the freeway. So having this expansive mind of just accepting it, knowing that it's something that is part of our existence and, you know, it will change. It will turn into something else. Just like, you know, we used to do, horses, the cars are going to turn into something else on their own, in their own time, not because I get upset every time someone drives a certain way. Yeah, I think maybe practicing, um, practicing the use of that valley image, hold that in mind when you mm -hmm. are 
in the supermarket or on the highway mm-hmm. may help a little bit. I think uh, another interesting idea that I hear a lot of time is the the mindset of scarcity versus the mind of abundance. So mm-hmm. a valley mindset is seems to me is like the that mindset of abundance. There's mm-hmm. enough room for every one of us as opposed to try to cut each other in the line or compete for something, mm-hmm. right? That valley mindset, uh, yeah. I think it can either expand our vision or shrink our vision. Yeah, I love it. There's there's room for everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So the last one, we're talking about this, this muddy mm-hmm. water. And so, um, being like muddy water, there's, to me, I still, I associate this with humility and recognizing we're all in a state of confusion to some extent Mm -hmm. and that just because we have that confusion doesn't mean that we can't still be at peace. I mean, water can be muddied and still calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times we, you know, would prefer pure water. Mm-hmm. I, I think we discuss, I think in one of our podcasts, in Chinese, there is a idiom that goes, when the water is too pure, there's no fish. Yeah. So it's basically telling people that, you know, if become, you know, it's good to be virtuous, but if you become self, self-righteous, yeah. then pretty much you push people all away from you because no one wants to be around, you know, associated with a self-righteous person. Mm-hmm. So that muddy thing, I think as a, as a Taoist, I think it's a very interesting image that means, you know, it's first of all, self acceptance, because within us, it's not that all pure thing. There's, you know, good and evil, you know, just in different triggered in different times. So we have to kind of um, at peace and, uh, and uh, walk toward the light, but not try to hide in our shadows, the shadows is part of us. And then toward others, it's the similar thing. You know, we don't want to develop a mindset, you know, I'm all associating with all the smart people or the righteous people or virtuous people, and the rest of the world is living hell. I think that way, that will create more peace within our heart and also will create more peace in the world. Yeah, every cult that exists, mm-hmm. exists in a way where they believe, you know, we have the clean, pure water and all the muddy water. Exactly. Else <laughs> in the world. Yes. Yeah. And what we're saying is, no, the muddy water is where it's at. Just, you know, um, being in the mud is okay with everybody else. You're, you don't have some special 
clear, pure water that you yeah. and the other cult members are living within. I mean, I think that's the the just the point that um, you know, there's some new agey kind of mm-hmm. ways of trying to be that I think they do use the Taoist umbrella sometimes because it's different and mysterious, but then it turns into this kind of like, you know, not that you're walking the timeless way, you're walking the timeless way, this way, and this is the right. way that you do it. And and obviously that's not what Lao is saying. It's like, there's a big muddy path and we're all just kind of slopping our way through it, but you can use these qualities to navigate it, but it doesn't make you right. It doesn't make you true. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you anything other than just um, still just a human being, a guest on this planet. That's very well said. I, I, I think the there's always some danger for any kind of spiritual practice or religion to become you know, the way you just describe it. Uh, I think the, um, yeah, it's, it seems every time when I read uh, Tao Te Ching, I think it's much more kind of liberating. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like trying to claim, here's the, the truth, the way, mm-hmm. and the life. It's just very naturalistically described. That's the way it is. There's the good, there's bad, and there's the ugly. So, uh, but still, you know, we're trying to become a little bit better and a more uh, compassionate, more humble, and less competitive. Okay, so we are at the top of our hour and really enjoyed the studying the, uh, this chapter 15 with you, Yen. And I hope that our listener uh, will, you know, uh, enjoy our conversation and also benefit uh, from it too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make this podcast for you and is entirely listener supported. If you find value in our discussions of Tao, please consider making a small donation at walkingthetimelessway.com. We also want to hear from you. Please write to us anytime via the website.